The war on poverty is over, and we lost. At least, that's the consensus of pundits on both the right and the left, who argue that the federal poverty reduction strategies of the last 50 years have been ineffective, insufficient, or both. But Harris School McCormick Foundation professor Bruce Meyer and his colleague James Sullivan of the University of Notre Dame argue just the opposite. They say that in fact America is beating poverty. They base this on a new measurement of poverty, one that looks at consumption rather than income. Professor Meyer sat down with producer Jake Smith to explain. What is the official measure that we use for poverty in the U.S.? And tell me a little bit about how that came to be the gold standard. Sure. The official poverty measure in the U.S. came out of the war on poverty in the 60s. And at that time, we didn't have a measure of the number or share of people who are in poverty. So one was developed by a statistician uh, named Molly Urshansky, and she just took a budget for how much a person needed to get by in terms of what they spent on food and multiplied it by three and called that the poverty line. Why food and why three? That's a good question. There were some budgets that had been made up in terms of different types of food needed for what was thought to be a reasonable diet at the time. And what she did is she added up all the costs of that diet at the time. And then food was about a third of total expenditures for a typical household. She actually used data on that from the 50s. What would you say is wrong with the current official measure of poverty? First, it was devised at a time when we didn't have tax credits and in-kind transfers like the earned income tax credit and the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. It was devised when our government programs were all cash transfers, where we didn't use the tax system to help out those at the bottom. Thus, it misses most of what we've done over the past 40 years to reduce poverty. That's the first problem. Second, the surveys that we use to measure people's income are increasingly missing larger and larger shares of income. People are less willing to respond to our household surveys, and when they do, they're giving less accurate answers. So a shockingly high share of people who are receiving SNAP, receiving housing benefits, receiving unemployment insurance, receiving cash welfare, don't report it when they're asked by the Census Bureau what is their income. And it's not just those programs, and this is what really surprises me. When you ask people who are older and, say, receiving a pension, if they received a pension, half of the people that are getting a pension don't say it. And what's going on with that? Why is that the case? You know, I don't fully understand it, but I think people are just more and more surveyed these days. You get asked whether you 
had a good experience when you buy something online, when you go see a doctor, when you stay at a hotel, when you have something repaired. You're just surveyed constantly. And I think people are less willing to take the time to give good answers. Okay, so first, we don't count many of the things that we do to reduce poverty. Second, our surveys that we use to capture income have major flaws. And third, we adjust the cutoffs for poverty over time using a price index that overstates inflation enough that it matters over a long period of time. And the reason that the price index overstates inflation is that it's very hard to capture new goods, to capture the improvement in the quality of goods, and to account for the changes in the types of places people buy goods these days. Even though it overstates inflation by a fair amount, you might think, well, that doesn't matter that much. But it doesn't matter much that it overstates inflation over one year. But if you look over many decades, then these small biases really add up. Is it fair to say that the purchasing power of a dollar has not actually gone down as much as the official statistics indicate? That's exactly right, because people are switching to new goods that didn't exist 20 or 30 years ago, and they're purchasing goods that are much higher quality than the goods that they purchased 20 years ago. For example, cars today are nothing like the cars that my parents bought when I was a child. You know, they're just so much better in in almost every way with airbags and anti-lock brakes and power steering and automatic transmission. Those weren't the standard, certainly, when I was young. So the question that that leads us to is, why do we keep using these flawed measures? Well, there are two reasons why we still use this flawed price index. The first is that that's the official requirement. The Office of Management and Budget stipulates which price index will be used for the poverty thresholds. And even though in many other series, the BLS revises old uh, uh, statistics, with the consumer price index, they don't go back and revise the old inflation numbers, even when they know they're wrong. A complete answer to your question is that it's very hard to devise a really accurate price index. When I say that the CPIU is overstating inflation, we don't really know by exactly how much, because it's inherently very hard to incorporate new goods and changes in the quality of goods and changes in people's spending patterns over time into a price index. It's just an inherently hard thing to do and something that is going to be imprecise no matter how you do it. So tell me a little bit about what you choose to measure as an alternative to the official poverty measure. An alternative to measuring 
how much income people report in a survey is looking at what they're actually able to spend on things like food, housing, utilities, clothing, and other goods. That more directly captures their material well-being, and it reflects income they may have received at an earlier time or income that they're going to get in the future and they're able to borrow against. It is less subject to fluctuation that might be due to some time taken off to go back to school or raise a child. It also is less sensitive to the underreporting of certain kinds of income. So with income, you have a real problem if someone doesn't report a major source of their income, say their pension or their welfare benefits. Whereas when you look at consumption, you can look at just part of their consumption bundle, and it's still meaningful because people spread out their spending across things like housing and food and other goods. Everyone spends something on food, and everyone spends something on housing. But not everyone gets income from every source. There are plenty of people that don't get a pension, that don't have earnings, that don't have welfare income. So you can't just look at one or a couple sources of income and get a full picture of how people are doing. But you can get a pretty good picture by just looking at a few of their expenditures. People's income may be quite variable over time because they take time off, because they're between jobs, but their consumption may stay fairly constant. If they've saved a little bit, if they are getting uh, help from family and friends. And when a person retires, for example, and here consumption is probably most obviously the best measure, when you're retired, you may not have much in the way of income. You may be drawing down savings. You may already own a home and a car and you get a flow of resources from already owning a home, a car, and drawing down your your savings, but you may have no income at all and still in that circumstance be quite well off. So looking at what this means for our understanding of poverty in America, when you look at the long-run changes in poverty over the decades, using your measure based on consumption, what's the story that emerges from that? And how does that compare to the official story that we're used to hearing? The official poverty measure says that poverty is almost as bad today as it was at the end of the 1960s, which suggests that we haven't been successful at all in fighting poverty over the past 50 years. On the other hand, if you look at what people are actually able to buy in the way of food and housing and other goods, and you see that they're able to buy more and more, they're living at a higher standard of well-being, that improvement indicates two things. Programs that we've designed to reduce poverty 
have been in large part successful and that there's been a growth in the economy over time that has lifted up people at the bottom as well as people across the distribution. Do you have an, any kind of estimate, uh, a number you can peg it to? So if you look at the level of consumption poverty, it's fallen since the 1980s by about two-thirds, whereas the official poverty measure has stayed about the same. So now I want to zoom out and talk about what the significance of all of this is. As you just said, this suggests that our safety net programs that we've been putting in place for 50 years or more have been more successful than we previously thought. What does this suggest for the future of those programs? Well, let me take things back a minute. So the argument on the right used to be that we fought a war on poverty and poverty won. Ronald Reagan said that in the 1980s. The chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee said that in the 1990s when we were considering welfare reform. Paul Ryan even said that back in 2014. That was the story on the right that we fought a war on poverty. Poverty hadn't gone down, so these programs didn't work. On the left, people didn't want to say that poverty had gotten better because they were worried that would mean that support for the programs might be reduced. On the left, people kind of felt that you weren't serious if you were saying that problems had gotten better, that things weren't as bad as they had been in the past. You were looked on as a Pollyanna, too cheerful, if you said that things had gotten better. So there was a consensus both on the left and the right that poverty hadn't improved. And for basically political reasons, both sides argued that it it hadn't improved. So we think it's now a substantial step forward that there are people on the right and some people on the left who are now willing to say that poverty has come down a lot. Now, where do you go when you say that poverty has improved a lot over time? Well, I think that probably the analogy to a war isn't quite right. You know, we use that analogy in way too many situations. We talk about the war on crime, the war on drugs. I think probably fighting a disease is maybe the the best analogy here. So think about fighting high cholesterol. You can bring your cholesterol down and get it under control, but that doesn't mean that you should stop taking statins. It might mean that you go into the doctor and reevaluate your condition. Maybe you want to incorporate exercise more in what you do. You may also decide that you want to shoot for an even lower level of cholesterol. I think that analogy is probably a better one when you're thinking about poverty. So now I think it's time for us to take a look at our programs and see whether or not they're working, whether there are 
people who are missed, who are falling through the cracks of the safety net, and other people who maybe are getting benefits but probably should be encouraged to work and support themselves as well. There are programs that discourage work that probably should be reformed, and there are programs that probably have too much in the way of burdens to get on that should be um, carefully looked at as well. So I've been told you are working with Professor Sullivan on a calculator of some type. We've developed what we call the Poverty Measurement Dashboard. And this tool that you can use on the web allows you to choose how you want to measure poverty and then will show you the poverty rates over time. One can choose whether you want to measure poverty with income or consumption and how you want to adjust for changes in prices over time. And you can choose when you want to anchor the uh, different poverty series. Let me explain anchoring for a minute. Since the thresholds that you use to decide whether someone is poor or not change over time, if you're changing them differently over time uh, with a different price index, you want to start at some point where they're the same and then look at how the changes evolve. And so we refer to that as the anchoring point. It's a little tricky to understand it, but you want some point where the poverty rates using your different measures are the same, and then you can see how they change over time from that point where they're all starting at the same same place. If you want to use this new tool, you can go to povertymeasurement.org and you can go ahead and try out the tool and see these different ways of measuring poverty compared. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Radio Harris, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And please check out our other podcast, Day One, which features students, alumni, and faculty using the Harris approach to make an impact in the world from their very first day at Harris and years beyond. That's it for today. This episode of Radio Harris was produced by me, Ann Ford.